get started living on Mars. I don't know what you see out there, but to me it looks like a crazy world that thinks it's sane. I could probably deal with it if a crazy world thought it was crazy. I could definitely deal with it if the world was sane. But the problem is there's a crazy world out there that thinks it's okay. And people say things to us, and we hear things on television. And, and I don't know what you think, but it's just my nature. I want to ask sometimes when I hear things that I think are not particularly well thought through, I want to say, are you living on Mars? Or maybe some of you remember using an expression, a question, are you living in a parallel universe? In other words, you're articulating something that doesn't work. At least it doesn't work in our world. And I just keep hearing the craziest stuff. And I wonder, did people think that through? Or did they just pair up what they heard somebody else say? Many of you knew about the tragic plane crash that happened in, in San Francisco. But there was something else that happened out there in, in Oakland on a television station. And some of you have seen the YouTube video from the news anchor who quoted the pilots' names, and they were made-up names that I guess because, you know, if you're from an Asian culture and you're in a Western culture, Asian names sound a little different over here, as I'm sure Hoover would sound a little different in, in South Korea, but somebody made up some names for the pilots, and the anchor just read them with a straight face looking right into the lens of the camera. She read that they had the names of the pilots. It was Captain Sum Ting Wong and We Too Low. Now, I... I I don't know. I mean, and then she went on to add, we don't know yet which pilots were responsible for which actions on the aircraft with that serious look. And I'm thinking, and don't you know people were watching that thinking, lady, you must be living on Mars. I mean, they're wondering, did I accidentally turn Colbert on or is this Saturday Night Live? And what I really would have liked to have been part of was the phone conversation that the producers made to the, you know, to the government to say, we have these names and we want to confirm. Are these actually the names of the pilots? I would have liked to have been part of that. Because all of us who now look back on that think, this is the craziest thing in the world. Somebody should have thought that through. Somebody should have sounded out those names to realize how wrong they were. And yet, that's what I think when I hear people advance commonly held views in our culture. It's like seeing somebody wear an outfit. You may be thinking that about me right now, but you're thinking, did you think that through before you put that on this morning? You know? And I hear people advocate positions, and I want to think, did you think that through, or did you just drink the Kool-Aid? Now, I know New Spring is a young church, and so some of you have heard that expression, drinking the Kool-Aid, and you know that that means just accepting something without testing it. But in case you don't happen to know the story that the expression drinking the Kool-Aid comes from, and you're not old like me, I need to let you know that there was a cult leader named Jim Jones who took a 1,000-plus people to South America, and he was paranoid, and he was crazy in every sense of the word. And when he felt that the people were, were being threatened, he convinced them to commit mass suicide. There were huge urns of Kool-Aid laced with cyanide, and the people knew it was laced with cyanide. They had actually practiced mass suicide. And Jim Jones passed it out to families, to mothers, to dads, to children, and they drank the Kool-Aid. They willingly drank the Kool-Aid. 909 people died. And when I, when I use that expression, drinking the Kool-Aid, I always think back about Jonestown, and I, I hear people say things today, and I'm thinking, did you really think that through, or are you just drinking the Kool-Aid? I preach living on Mars because it's important what you believe. You know, when I talk about doing things, if we do a series about what to do in order to have great relationships, what to do in order to get your finances in order, those are messages that we can all walk out of here and say, okay, I know what to do. But sometimes when we talk about what to believe, it's like, well, is that really important? But what you believe is more important than what you do. 
Because what you believe will govern what you do, and not only that, what you believe will, will, will determine your destination. There are hundreds of verses in the Bible that talk about how to get to heaven. And there's one word in all those verses, and it's the word believe. We're never told to do anything to go to heaven. If you ever were taught in religion that you need to do something to go to heaven, you were told wrong. Because the Bible says over and over, it's what you believe, it isn't what you do. And what you believe is so important that the Bible says this in the book of Isaiah chapter 5. It says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The Hebrew word for woe there is the most dramatic, most draconian form of judgment. And God has said the biggest judgment is, is reserved for those people who change the signs. You know, today, if you're out on the highway, there are electronic signs telling you where to go, or there's signs that the highway department put out there to tell you. But back in the day, signposts usually had, you know, little names on arrows that pointed in different directions. And one of the things that mischievous kids would do on Friday nights is go out and change the signposts and reverse them and switch the, switch the arrows. And the problem with that and the, the hooliganism of that is just that, you know, if you have the arrow pointing the wrong direction, you're going to wind up at a destination where you don't want to be. And that's why God has said the worst kind of judgment is reserved for those people who change the signposts so that people are doing bad, but they think they're doing good. And people, you know, who are doing good are accused of doing bad. And the reason why that verse is in the Bible is I think there's a proclivity for that. I think there's just a, a natural inclination for we as human beings to get so fouled up and so upside down that we say that good is bad and bad is good. And, and guys, I just got to tell you, when I look out in 21st century America, that's what I see. And that's why I want to say, when I hear positions advocated and swallowed, you know, did you think that through or are you just drinking the Kool-Aid? Well, speaking of destinations, we've joked for years about what it would be like to live on other planets. And I grew up in the 70s, you know, when, when space travel and stuff was was pretty important because we were talking a lot about space shots and stuff. But now, as you've probably figured out or read, there's a Dutch-based nonprofit group called Mars One that's raising funds for a colony on Mars. And everything's slated to take off or to leave in 2022. And I just want you to know that you can apply. If you haven't applied yet to be part of the first colony on Mars, there is still time for you. There's a couple more months for you to get your reservation in. And there are some qualifications for you to be an astronaut and I just want to share them with you because if you fit these criteria, then you can be an astronaut to Mars. Here's number one. Your thought processes are persistent. You see the connection between your internal and external self. I don't know what that means. You're at your best when things are at their worst. You have a can-do attitude. You know your boundaries, how and when to extend them. You're open and tolerant of ideas and approaches different from your own. You draw from the unique nature of individual cultural and cultural backgrounds. You trust in yourself. You maintain trust in others. You have a self-informed trust, whatever that is. You are flexible in how an issue or problem situation is approached, and you have a good sense of play and a spirit of playfulness. So if you're a playful person, then you can be an astronaut to Mars. I'm, I'm just telling you, <laughs> I, I remember the 70s, when, you know, and, and all the, the difficult, stringent criteria to be an astronaut. This sounds more like an eHarmony application. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, within two months of opening this up, 78,000 people signed up to go to Mars. Many more thousand by now. There's just one catch. You can't come back. There's no return trip, no return ticket. And I had to wonder when I think about these thousands of people who signed up to go to Mars, did you think that through? <laughs> I mean, did, did you think that through? It's just like the people who say and believe things today. We, we think, you know, you must be living on Mars. We want to know, have you thought it through? 
Well, let's quit talking about other people because they're not here today. What about you and me? First of all, do we believe anything? See, I think this is part of the issue today. I think most of us today don't really believe anything. We think a lot of things. I'm talking to some of you who grew up in church, and from the very earliest, you've been taught things from the Bible. Do you really believe them, or do you just think them? Are they just things that you can articulate if somebody asks you what's part of your theological repertoire? I mean, some of us, many of us grew up in a totally secular culture. We didn't have any church or religion in our, in our lives. And you think things, you've been taught things, but do you believe them? See, here's the thing about believing something. Let's propose a test, and let's see if we really believe anything. What do you believe enough that you will sacrifice for it? What do you believe enough that you will give something that would represent a loss to you if you gave it? Do you believe anything enough that you would sacrifice for? Let me give you the one that will eliminate most Americans in 2013. Do you believe anything enough that you would be willing to become unpopular for it? In our celebrity, celebrity craze culture, we have a whole generation of people they just drink the Kool-Aid because everybody else is drinking the Kool-Aid. And the thing about it is, you know, they would, they would sooner die in some cases than to be unpopular. All I'm asking you today, what do you and I really believe? Well, I need to let you know, historically, as we jump into this series, that there was once a colony of people who lived on Mars. And in the essence of full disclosure, they didn't live on the planet. They lived basically in the city of Athens in the first century. And they hung out at this place called Mars Hill every day. And the reason why they went to Mars was to try to figure out life. It was a place where the elite, the intelligentsia, it was a place where the great philosophers and thinkers of the day would go to try to sort out life. And in the book of Acts chapter 17, there was a collision on Mars one day because there was a God follower named Paul who was perhaps the most influential person after Jesus Christ in the first century who wound up in Athens and he brought the message of Jesus and the resurrection to this intellectual center and it all sort of collided. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about this collision on Mars. Next week, the talk is called The Unknown. Week three is Signs of Life and week four is called Voyages. But today I want to do something. I want us to just read the whole story so that we'll have some background for this whole thing. And, and, and it's Mars landing today. We're just going to talk about in a few moments what Paul found when he got there. But for right now, let's read the whole story. Okay, ready? Here we go. By the way, please bring your Bibles for this. Or if you have an electronic device, you have a Bible app, let's read this together. Because I want you to own this and not just hear it. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, that's his co-workers, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who hadn't be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others were saying, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, Mars Hill, saying, may we know what this new teaching is about which you're proclaiming, for you're bringing some strange things to our ears, and we, we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians, I almost said all the Americans, now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, Mars Hill, and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you're very religious in all respects, for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I want to tell you about, or I'll proclaim this to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since Lord, he's Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. 
And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to have on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that or so that in order that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope or feel for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said, for we're his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men that all people everywhere should repent or change their way of thinking because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, we want to hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some joined him and believed. Among them also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Guys, I know it's a cloudy morning outside, but I need a little space. I need you to give me a little latitude to talk about what things were like in first century Athens. Because this isn't a history lesson. It's more or less a lesson about how things don't change. I think we have the sense that our culture today is an evolved culture. But the truth of the matter is, people don't change and God, God doesn't change. And what we're going to see as we explore Athens in the first century, we're going to see America in the 21st century. Well, let me just give you a little bit of background. By the time the first century rolled around, Athens was past its day in the sun. About three or 400 years before, the Greek culture ruled the world, and Athens had been a center of education. Education had been very, very important to the Athenians. And they wanted their kids schooled in things like logic and reason and debate, mathematics, biology, all the sciences, astronomy. It's very important for them for their kids to be very well trained. But by the first century, things had so devolved to the place where it was primarily important for the Athenians to be able to make a good speech. In other words, to make a good impression. No longer was this drive for excellence in education. There was a drive to just appear educated and to make a good scene. Basically, what, what Paul discovered in the Areopagus or on Mars Hill, what he discovered was one big, long reality show. Now, even though the power center had shifted to Rome and the economic center had shifted to Corinth, Athens was still where the influencers were. Athens was where the intellectual elite hung out. This was the place where the people who taught and lectured and wrote about ethics, this is where they were centralized. So when Paul got to Athens, he realized that maybe they weren't influencing monetary culture, they may not be influencing government, but these were the people who were influencing the whole world on how to think culturally. Now here's this. This is where I really find something similar. Paul discovered three groups of people in Athens. There were a handful of people who were people of faith, but they weren't making any noise, and they weren't interested in making any noise. They were the minority report. They knew they were the minority report. And like so many churches in America today, all they want to do is come hang out for a little while together and have a religious club. Paul tried to talk to them. Waste of time. Second group of people that Paul met was the biggest group of people. It was just the people who lived in Athens. The people who lived in Athens were very religious. They were polytheistic. They had 30,000 gods. Athenian culture was a strange culture because they not only had Greek gods, they had Roman gods, they had Canaanite gods, Syrian gods, Oriental gods. In fact, one Roman historian said it was easier to find a god in Athens than to find a man. They were terrified they were going to leave a god out. So they had 30,000 gods and scared of all of them. And then there were the intellectuals. The intellectuals were pretty much part of two schools of thought, two philosophies. They didn't believe in any of the gods. I mean, they would attend the ceremonial stuff in order to participate in the community. But these were the intellectuals. They didn't really believe in God at all. 
they believed in their philosophies. And there were two of these philosophies. And it was actually, it was actually these people that Paul engaged with. He was an intellectual himself, so I guess it was a natural thing that the Epicureans and the Stoics grabbed him and said, we want to take you to Mars, and we want you to tell us about what you're about. But real quickly, let me tell you about the Epicureans and the Stoics because we have them with us today. There's so many schools of thought and religion and philosophy, you could just rip the name off and you can put Epicurean or Stoic because these two thoughts, these two philosophies are totally with us today. The Epicureans had one goal in life. They felt that unhappiness came from pain. So if you want to be happy in life, just avoid pain. Anything you had to do to avoid pain, that was how to be happy. There's no afterlife because the idea of afterlife could create unsettled feelings. So they didn't believe in any afterlife, and this is a fact. They thought if there were gods, they were mortal, they were disinterested, and disconnected. So if there were gods, they would give you no help and do you no harm. So even though they may have talked about gods for all intents and purposes, they were practically atheistic. They believed that every pleasure was good and every pain was bad, and there's no such thing as justice and injustice, that justice is just whatever society agrees to, whatever the collective is for, and that becomes justice. And as I said a moment ago, it was practical atheism. I have a lot of friends who are non-theists, and, and they always propose the same conundrum for me. At least it's a conundrum in their thinking. They will say to me, Mark, you claim that you believe in a God who is all good and all powerful. Your God cannot be both all good and all powerful because evil exists in the world. The presence of evil means that if your God is all powerful, then he is not good because if he were good, he would not allow evil. Or it means that if your God is all good, that he's not all powerful, because if he were all powerful, he would find some way to mitigate or to get rid of evil. Well, it was the, it was the uh, Epicureans who were the first ones to come up with that question. So that's who the Epicureans were. The Stoics, on the other hand, were similar, but in some ways they were the opposite. The Stoics thought that the problem with life is emotions, the emotions that were within us. They, they felt that their emotions weakened them, emotions like distress or fear or lust or even, even pleasure. They thought that you couldn't trust those emotions. So the only way to be happy in life was just to find some way to get through life and discipline yourself to the place where your emotions never controlled you. They thought that happiness was about controlling your emotions. They weren't sure if there was a God or gods. Maybe everything was God. Maybe, they, maybe there was a God they didn't know. But regardless, here's what they believed. They believed that everything was already decided. The mantra of the Stoics was, it is what it is. Just put on your big boy pants, just put on your big girl pants, and deal with it. You know, do whatever it takes to cope. Now, when Paul gets there, that's what he finds. Religious people who are making, or, you know, people of faith making no difference, people with 30,000 gods scared of all of them, and elites with two prevailing world philosophies, and Paul, the Bible says, he was deeply troubled. In fact, in the Greek language, we get a word paroxysm from it, which is like saying in his spirit he had a stroke. Now, work with me for a moment. Why was he so troubled to get here? This is the place that influenced the thinking of the world. 30,000 gods, two prevailing schools of world philosophy, and no return trip because they didn't believe in life after death. I mean, what, what were these, all these religious people getting out of their religion? What were these people, I mean, what were, what were the Stoics getting out of all this self-discipline? I mean, they were just making life difficult on themselves with no return trip. You know, what was the purpose of pleasure if there's no life after death? Well, that's when it happened. Paul talked to him about two things. He talked to him about Jesus as Savior, and he didn't know what to do with that. Which, by the way, did you know 
that hundreds of years before this happened, Socrates said to his student Plato, he asked Plato a question. He said this, really. He said, it may be that the divinity can forgive sin, but I don't see how. Socrates was intellectually, uh, he was intellectually right enough in his thinking to realize that if there was sin and if there was a deity, there was no way that that, that that deity could just overlook sin. Well, what Socrates didn't know about was he didn't know about the cross. He didn't know about Jesus dying and making a way for sin. So when Paul talked to them about a Savior, it was like, it doesn't compute. And then when he talked to them about life after death, they thought, this guy is crazy. Well, they said to Paul, you're bringing some strange things to our ears. We want to know what you're talking about. And, you know, we read a little while ago that the Athenians only got there because they, they wanted to see whatever was new. They didn't have cable television. They didn't have social media. They didn't have Facebook. So they got there on Mars Hill to just figure out what was new. Now, Paul could have said to them, you people must be living on Mars, but instead, he met them where they were. And look at this. He said in verse 22, men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. Now, if Paul had been talking to a postmodern crowd in 2013, here's what Paul would say. He would have used our language of the times. He would say, I see that you're very spiritual. I have friends who tell me, Mark, I don't believe in God, but I consider myself very spiritual. I mean, I hear that a lot. I have good friends that will just say, I don't, I don't, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not a God. If there's a God, I don't know who she, it, we, they are. But I consider myself very spiritual. I'm never sure what that means. It's like somebody telling me, I'm very romantic, but I never go on a date. You know, but I don't know. Paul was just saying, look, I, I know you're very spiritual because, you know, what gave that away was 30,000 gods that you have out here. I mean, it's like a cemetery out here. Every time I turn around, there's a monument here. But he said there was one, one, one little stone here that says to an unknown God, and I want to tell you who he is. And we'll pick it up next week there. But right now, I want to do something now. I want to take us to today, and I want to talk about you and me because, see, I see so many similarities between the first century in Athens and 21st century of America. What do you believe? What do you believe today? Have you thought it through? I'm, I'm going to ask several questions about currently discussed, discussed topics. And you know, here's the thing. And on these topics, you may be 180 degrees from where I am. And that's great because one of the problems that I have with America today is we, we, we can't dialogue anymore. I mean, people just scream names at each other. And you know, closely. I, mean, I don't understand. What, I mean, and I remember in my generation, the idea was to think and, and everybody's, hear everybody's opinion. We've almost lost that in America. My question is, I mean, you, you, you may completely disagree with me about these things. And here's the thing. I will always respect you if you thought it through. In fact, I'm not even sure I have respect for religious people who just drink the Kool-Aid and don't think it through. What do you believe about God? Do you believe there's one God or one way to heaven, or do you believe there are many ways to heaven? A pew poll several years ago was, was conducted, and its results were so amazing that people can't quit talking about the results. Americans were asked, do you believe, American Christians were asked, do you believe that there are many ways to heaven. 66% of Protestants said, yes, we believe that there are many ways to heaven. 83% um, of mainline Protestants said, we believe there are many ways to heaven. I don't know exactly. I guess New Spring would fall 
in, in what would be considered evangelical. They'd put us in that bag and shake us up. But evangelicals were asked, do you believe there are many ways to heaven? 57% of evangelicals said, yes, we believe there are many ways to heaven. And 79% of Catholics. And it, I don't know what, you, I'm asking, what do you believe about that? Do you believe there are many ways to heaven? Well, if you're, if you're in the majority of American evangelicals or Catholics or mainline Protestants, you would say, yes, Mark, I believe, there, I believe there are lots of ways to heaven. Well, if you believe there are many religions that are ways to heaven, could I ask you the question, which ones? And what would be the basis of atonement and redemption in that religion that makes it viable? Are you sure your religion is one of the right ones? Which ones would you recommend to your friends and why? And beyond that, how do you factor in Jesus' statement? If you're a Christian, how would you factor in Jesus' statement when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me? And in Acts 4.12, the Bible says salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by where we, by, whereby we must be saved. See, here's the deal. Either Jesus is living on Mars or 57% of evangelicals are. And if Jesus is living on Mars, why would anybody want to be a Christian? You see what I mean? What do you believe, and have you thought it through? And that's the problem with people on Mars. They just don't think things through. Atheists were asked. This is the one that got me the most. Atheists were asked questions, and 21% of atheists said they believe in God. These are self-identified atheists. Now, I read an article about this in one of the California papers that atheists, you know, atheists that believe in God. 21% of atheists said they believe in God. 12% of atheists believe in heaven. 10% of atheists pray every week. I mean, some of the, some non-theists out there have some of you Christians beat. <laughs> Honestly. I mean, out there, you know, one in ten atheists is praying every week, and some of us who are Christians, we, we skip that. You know, here's the thing. Like the people in Athens, we're confused. We don't know what we believe. What do you believe about sex? Not what do you think, but what do you believe about sex? I mean, do you believe it's okay to have multiple partners during dating or shopping? You know, it's like when you're single, it's just it's okay to have multiple partners. Well, why does marriage change that? If it's okay to have multiple partners while you're dating, why can't you have multiple partners when you get married? Who blows the whistle? Who decides that the game has changed? Why is it wrong? Take abortion, for instance. That's been a hot topic since my teen years. Is what's growing in a woman, is it just tissue or is it a baby? You know, if it's just her tissue, I'd be the first to stand in line and say no one should ever hassle a woman about having her abortion because it's her body and she can do anything that she wants to do with tissue that's in her body. I'm first in line for that. But if it's a baby, then that would be taking a life, wouldn't it? So which is it? And somebody could say, well, Mark, you just don't understand. What happens is it, it starts out as a tissue. It goes from being a, a zygote, and then it, it goes into, you know, several, several changes. And then according, and you could say, Mark, if you just knew the ruling of the Supreme Court, you would understand that viability is the test. So when, when that tissue isn't viable yet outside of the body, it's just tissue. But then all of a sudden it changes and it becomes a baby. Well, if society can make that decision, then we're all Epicureans, aren't we? Because there's no such thing as right or wrong or justice and injustice. It's just whatever the collective decides it is. 
See, we just don't think. Just drink the Kool-Aid. I was driving the other day, and I saw a bumper sticker in the car in front of me. And it said, speaking, I guess, as a baby, it said, if you won't kill me in the womb, I won't kill you in the nursing home. See, what if society just decides that when you get so old, you go back from being a human being to just tissue again? I shouldn't go here. If I, if I was smart, I wouldn't go here. But I've never been smart. I've never been afraid. <laughs> but you and I both know the prevailing issue of our age is same-sex marriage. What do you believe about that? Not what do you think. What do you believe? You say, Mark, I was raised in church. And I just think it's wrong. Well, why do you believe that? Is that enough for you? You say, I just don't like it. I just don't, I just don't think two people of the same gender should be able to get married. I just don't think so. Or you could say, my church has told me that it's wrong. Is that enough for you? On the other hand, you could say, Mark, I just think that two people who love each other should be able to get married. It doesn't matter what gender they are. I just, I just feel in my heart that two people who love each other should not be discriminated. Why two? Who decided that? If decisions are open, why two? What if one man falls in love with three women? They love each other. Who should discriminate against them? What if three, what if one woman falls in love with three men? It takes a community. What if a whole town loves each other? (laughs) Just asking. I mean, because here's the deal. Who said two? Who said two? Who decided that? Does the word husband and wife mean anything to you? Does the term mother and father mean anything to you? Do those things matter? Do people even have to love each other to get married? Why do they have to love each other? What if they just want the tax benefits? And what is marriage anyway? What does it mean? I mean, here's the thing, and I meant this when I said this. Listen, guys, I know what I believe, and you may line up totally different from me, and you may believe something 180 degrees different. And I'm not saying I draw a moral equivalence between those two positions. But I am saying this. If you thought it through, and you've, you've worked the calculus, and you thought it through, and you believe it enough to sacrifice for it because of what you've really thought through, you will have my respect. I mean, I have friends who are non-theists. And we get in discussions all the time about, is there a first cause? Is there a God who made the world? Or did it all happen by bottom-up intelligence? And you know what? We're friends, and we talk, and we have a good time together, and we don't call each other names. And, and you know, I've, we go to lunch together and all those kinds of things. That's great. We need that kind of thing. And, and I'm not saying, I mean, you know where I, where I come down. I do believe there is a God who created the world. But I always have respect for people who have thought through their position. My problem with living on Mars is people just don't think. When I was a young man, people used to talk about, I remember they used to talk about people who went to church. And they said, you know, the problem is you just check your brain at the doorstep. I'm living in a culture today when you go to the university, you check your brain at the doorstep. If, you're willing, if you want to believe something that's counter to what the collective believes, then you're called names in many situations. And you and I are watching what was once a great nation of freedom change dramatically to an Orwellian culture 
I don't know if any of you have ever read 1984, George Orwell's great book, or written in the 20s, but we're getting there very quickly. Well, here's the thing, and I'm going to get to the end of this talk. You and I are going to make a choice living on Mars. And it start, the choice, both choices start with the letters SFC. You're either going to settle for confusion or you're going to search for clarity. And my message today is whatever you believe, wherever you come from, my goal today is just to get you to search for clarity. Because we live in a world today, as I've said, that's confused. But the problem that we have, the problem they had on Mars Hill that Paul ran into, and the problem that we run into today in 21st century America is we're in a culture today that feels that confusion is the goal. Like Salvador Dali said, what's important is to spread confusion, not eliminate it. It's, just like, it's like when you get really intelligent, then you'll be confused. You say, well, I just don't know what to think. That's like that's the intelligent position, that if you believe something and you believe it firmly, then you're not well-educated because if you were, you would be confused because the signposts have been switched. I just don't know what to think. There's just so many thoughts out there, so many ways of thinking. Even if you and I, are, and that's partly in my groundwater too, I find that every once in a while. Even if that's true, and even if you're saying, well, Mark, I just don't think people should be dogmatic about anything. Let me ask you a question. Isn't it true that there's certain people that you want you to, give, you want to have a definitive answer from them? If you've got a life-threatening illness and you go to see your doctor and you say, doctor, please tell me how I can save my life. And she sits back and says, I don't know. There are just so many ways of thinking about this. I'm just reluctant to tell you any point of view that I have. I say, would you just give me a flippant answer? We want our lawyers to be sure if it's a matter of going to jail or not going to jail, if it's a matter of being sued successfully or not being sued, sued, sued successfully. We don't want our lawyer to say, well, I just don't know. There are just a lot of thoughts out there, and I'm just reluctant to give you my point of view. Lord knows we want our accountant to be certain. Or the fire department. Your house catches fire. You call 911. Fire department comes out. All the trucks and you look out, and they're just all standing out the curtain talking, and your house is burning down, and you go out there, and you talk to the fire chief, and you're saying, hey, why aren't you putting my house out? And the fire chief says, you know, we've been talking to the neighbors, and we've conducted a poll, and what we've discovered is a lot of your neighbors think that it's a cool thing to watch your house burn down. You can settle for confusion, or you can search for clarity. When Paul got through talking about Jesus and the resurrection, he encountered three groups of people. And then I'm not going to read the verse, but before I, read, before I tell you what happened with these verses, I want to give you a Bible verse. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, test everything, hold on to the good. Now, that's in the Bible, but it comes from marketing in the first century. Everything was handled by material currency in the first century, and so the counterfeiting was a big issue in the first century. So this was a saying that was in marketing, test everything. When anybody hands you any piece of currency, test it. Only take it if it's good. And so in the Bible, you and I are instructed to do the same thing, test it. Here's the deal. Guys, listen to me. When you watch a movie and you get preached a message, it seems like every time I go to watch a movie, somebody's preaching me a cultural message, test it. But by the same token, when you come in here and you listen to me talk, test me. Don't just drink the Kool-Aid. Don't just fall in. Test what I've got to say. Check it out. See if it's true. The Bible says test everything. And hold on to it if it's genuine. Don't hold on to it if it's spurious. Well, 
There were three groups of people who heard Paul speak. First of all, there were a group, as soon as he talked about resurrection, they made fun of him. They mocked him. And that group will be here today or watching this message online. By the way, do you know, what, you know why people mock? It's because their pride has been attacked, but they don't have an intellectual comeback for it. And so they mock. I mean, that's, why, that's what drives late-night television. Mocking, that's scoffing, just means your pride's been wounded. You don't know what to say. You don't have a viable argument for it. You just make fun. And so it could be that somebody could hear Paul's message or hear this message today and just say it's crazy. The second group of people is the one that really interests me, and I hope that we have a number of you who are here today. The second group of people said to Paul, we're not sure we agree with you, we're not sure we believe anything you say, but we're interested and we're going to check it out and we're going to test it. We want to hear more. So even if you're here today and you can put two and two together and you can figure out that our viewpoints aren't the same, but you're willing to search for clarity, I want to say thank you for being here and, and I'm proud of you. The third group there were a couple, there were some people, I don't know how many were in this group, but there were two that are named. One was a guy named Dionysius. And what's interesting about Dionysius, he wasn't just an elite. He was like the debate judge for Mars Hill. He was like the elite of the elite. And yet with all the philosophy and education and, and the culture background that Dionysius had, like Augustine said, there was a God-shaped hole in him. And when he heard Paul's message about Jesus, Augustine, I mean, Dionysius said, this is what I want. And then there was a woman named Damaris. We don't know who she was. We know she was a powerful woman, an educated woman, a strong woman. But she heard Paul's testimony like Dionysius. She said, this is what I need in my life. Because, guys, let me tell you, you can be the smartest person in the room. You can have the best education in the world. You can make all kinds of money. But if you don't get a return trip, you're just like the people who signed up for Mars. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I want a return trip. I want something more than this life. As C.S. Lewis said, if I have longings that are not fulfilled in this world, then perhaps I was made for another world. And if that is you today and you want like Dionysius and Damaris, if you want to say, hey, I've heard today what I'm looking for. I've found in Jesus what I want. I want to encourage you to pray a prayer with me. These aren't magic words. The important thing is what's in your heart, what, what you feel. But I want to pray a prayer with you, and I'm going to pray it slowly so that you can repeat it after me like a bride and groom do at a wedding. And if you mean it from your heart, I want to say it slowly so you can own it. If you mean it from your heart, there's a God on the other end who will listen. Let's pray together. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't, I can't save myself. But I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe his blood was a currency that paid for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. I turn from my old way of thinking and I believe on Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have prayed that prayer so quickly. You say, Mark, I don't know what hit me. Well, hey, I have a gift for you. And here's what I'd like for you to do. If you just prayed that prayer with me, take your talk to us card out. There's a little box you can check that says, I prayed to receive Christ. If you'll bring this back to guest services, I have a gift for you. There's a DVD and a book that I wrote, plus a coupon for a new Bible. Please come to guest services. I promise you, they won't hassle you a stock. You just say, I pray with Mark, and they will give you this, and you can have it when you leave. Thanks for being here for week one. Next week, we go into the unknown.